Well, we want to get right into the Word because there's a lot to cover tonight. We're talking about renewing the mind. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. We've looked at what transform means. Actually, in that verse, there's three things Paul tells us. He tells us, first of all, something that we are not to do. That's to not be conformed to this world. We've learned that that word conformed means to be pressured from the outside so that we look, talk like, sound like what that pressure is like, and that's the pressure from the world. That Satan, Satan would love to have stopped you from getting saved, from coming to Christ, but he couldn't do that, which shows you how powerful he is. But once you came to Christ, the next fallback position he has is to try to keep so much pressure on you that you don't act like who you are. Because although you may be changed on the inside, the only way that change affects other people is that they can see it on the outside. So he begins to bring the pressure to bear from the things of the world, and that pressure can be in the form of just circumstances in your life. It's just the issues of life. So many people today are under so much pressure. Time, they're short of time, they're short of money, they're short of energy, they're short of all patience, short of all kinds of things, because we're, although we have all these wonderful electronic gadgets and we have all these conveniences, they haven't made our life better, they've made our life more hectic, they've made our more pressure in our life. I'm not saying they're bad, it's just that they control us too much of the time, and I've, I've got to de- watch that. My wife reminds me every once in a while that I can actually, there is an off button on that thing, I can turn it off, I can actually leave it in another room and go to another room and survive. I did it for years, and I should, she's very sweetly and lovingly reminds me of that, and sometimes I need to be reminded of it, because I'm sitting there doing one thing and my mind's running on something else all the time, and then wonder why we get like this. When the Bible talks a lot about being quiet, being at peace. That's what this time of fasting and prayer that we're going to enter into tomorrow and Friday and on part of Saturday is to time as to the extent that you can to slow down and to quiet down. If you can get in here during the hours that it's open on Thursday and Friday and then Saturday morning, I would encourage you because it's a very sweet, peaceful atmosphere in here. It's just nice to come in here to sit sometimes. It's just so peaceful in here. And it's a way to slow down. And when we slow down, God can begin to show us things He can't show us because we can't hear him because we're going so fast. We're running from one thing to another. So that's what part of that pressure is. Another form of that pressure is to talk and to think and to act like the world does, to react to things the way the world does. And we've been learning on Sunday mornings about that, about the upside-down kingdom, that the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God operate on very different principles. Actually, it's the same principle that just perverted in the world. And so we've been studying that. So here Paul says, don't let that happen to you. But he doesn't just say, don't let that happen to you, because you've got to do something positive so that that doesn't happen to you. Instead, he says, to be renewed, to, to be changed, to be, to be transformed. And the word transformed in Greek literally means to take what you are, really are on the inside and bring that to the outside, and that way others can see that. So that's what this is all about. And now we're going to begin to get very practical. We've looked at the mind, where it's located within how good God designed you. We've seen that you are a spirit being. Your real you is a spirit being, part of another kingdom, a spirit world, a spirit kingdom, the kingdom where God lives. God is a spirit. The angels are a spirit. Jesus now is a spirit. But that's a more real world than the world, the other world, the, which is the material, natural realm. But you are that's what you are. Your real essence of who you are is a spirit. When Jesus is... And, of course, uh, Friday is Good Friday where we celebrate uh, Jesus' crucifixion on the cross and what that means to us. The Scripture says when it came to the end of that, he gave up his spirit. He, he released his spirit. And when he released his spirit, his body died. Because the spirit is the real you. And that's part of the kingdom that God's is God's kingdom. It's an eternal kingdom. It's never, it never gets old. It never wears out. Um, it doesn't live in time. Uh, and your spirit lives in a body and your body is of this natural material realm, which is decaying, it's temporary, it's, 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 it's always in some process of change, and generally it's older and downhill. And, and, and the nature of those two kingdoms is they can't naturally contact each other through one or more of your five senses. So the problem is, you're a spirit living in a body it can't make contact with. How does that work? Well, God gave you a third part of you, which is your soul, made up of your personality, your mind, your will, and your emotions. And we've seen, and we're not going to go into the slides tonight, we're see, we've seen that that soul, your personality, has connection with your spirit and your body. So it's a bridge to connect the two together. That's why it is so important 
And that's why God works to influence your soul and Satan works to influence your soul. Then last time we broke the soul down into three parts and saw that your soul is made up of a mind, your will, and your emotions. We talked about your emotions. That's the part of you that, you know, either feels happy, sad, mad, discouraged, depressed, whatever. It's, you know what your emotions are. And, 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 and those aren't bad as long as they're not controlling us. They're like, this, like the taste buds are to your eating process, your, your, your emotions are. They're, they're an indication of what's going on inside. They're also a way that God intends for us to enjoy and experience uh, our life here and our life with one another, but not to be controlled by those emotions. And too many of us are controlled by our emotions just like too many of us are controlled by our taste buds, but we won't go there. That's, we'll deal with that in the fast, okay. Then we found, that's the emotions. Then we found out you have a will. The will is the part of you that God made most like Him, and it is the part of you that He gave the ability to make decisions. And He will honor those decisions. God will not supersede your decisions. If you decide you want to go to hell for eternity, as much as that grieves Him, as much as He doesn't want that to happen, the Bible says He'll send His Spirit to the literal door of hell to try to persuade you not to go. But if you've made up your mind to go to hell, God cannot and will not stop you because He will not and He cannot violate your will. He'll try to influence it, but He will not violate your will. The will is the part of you that determines what you're going to do. Your emotions affect your will, and then the third part of your soul is your mind, and that's what we're studying. That affects your will also. And so we're going to begin tonight to look at the mind and how that mind functions, not in, a, not in a psychological or physiological way, but in a practical way. Very practical things we're going to learn about your mind. One of the words has been rolling around in me lately. It's, it's right out of the Bible. The Proverbs says it in a number of places. And I was looking in, when we looked a few weeks ago on a, Wednesday, on a Sunday morning in the, in the book of uh, Malachi, chapter 2 is addressed to the priests at the time. And God, through the prophet, is faulting them because they failed to to give the people understanding. And it just reminds me what Proverbs says, that, that a pastor's responsibility, a teacher's responsibility, one of the purposes of the gift of a teacher is to give us understanding. Because when we have understanding and understand how things fit together and how things work, we can now begin to operate the way God intended us to operate. And there's so many people out there where their whole, their whole spiritual walk with God and their whole spiritual feeding is just preaching. And they get all fired up, and they're wonderful preachers on TV that will get you all fired up, but they don't give you understanding. So you leave here all ready to do something, but by the time you get home, you can't remember what it was you were all fired up to do, and you don't know how to do it, you just know you want to. And the, and the knowing you want to is important. Being motivated is important. But you also need to have understanding. And so the purpose, and one of the main purposes of Wednesday night Bible study is to give us understanding. And the gift that God's given me is primarily that of a teacher and its purpose is to give us understanding. So my, the way my mind works is I just break things down into pieces, put them together in some organized form and then explain them to you and to myself as well. And then that's how we get understanding. So that's really what, what we're about. Now we ended up by talking about the mind and why it is so important as it affects the will. Because your mind is a gatekeeper. Your mind, we talked at the end that when you were, when you were saved, uh, when Adam was created, Adam's spirit dominated him. Because his spirit was the part of him that was made in the image of God, that was connected to God. And so his spirit led him and directed him. And all that leading and directing was along the perfect will of God. That when Satan came into the garden to disrupt all that, all Satan tries to do and all he has to do in your life is just to get things out of order. Just to get one thing out of order. If he can get one thing out of order, then the rest of you won't work quite right. It's kind of when you take your laundry and you put it in the washing machine and it all gets bunched up on one side in the spin cycle. 
it's out of order. It gets out of balance and your washing machine will start trying to walk across that basement or wherever it is you have it because it's out of order and the faster it goes, the more it shakes it out of order. And when you're out of order and you try harder and harder and harder to do things right, you're just going to shake the washing machine across the bottom of, you know, the floor of your, of your basement because the, the answer is to stop it and get it in the right order. And so all Satan did is come into the garden just to get it a little bit out of order because once it's out of order, the blessing of God, the operation of God, the anointing of God, the life of God doesn't work correctly in it because there's an order to things. And that's true all over the kingdom of God and God's design. God is a God of order. Just look at the universe, how orderly it is. And so that order is that the man was to be governed by, led by the spirit part of him because that's the part of him that was in direct communion with God. That soul, the mind was given to understand what the instructions were and then to figure out how to carry that out. And the body was the physical agency to actually carry the will of God out. Now, once it got out of order, Satan's temptation was to get them to elevate their mind and their understanding over the authority of their spirit. And that's where the world is today. In 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about, it talks about uh, how the mind tries, is foolishness to God when we're governed by our mind. Ephesians, I think it's 3, talks about, or 4, talks about how, how when, we're, when, when we're led by our mind, it's vanity. To God, it's vanity. Vanity means it produces nothing. And in fact, and this is where you look at the world and really see how crazy things are. I don't have time, well, I'm, there was an article I read the other day, an, uh, 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 an editorial by somebody, well-known uh, guy, who got off, and I'm going to re- bring it in and read it sometime, because it, I couldn't believe it. There was a child, I think it was a third grader, that was eating his Pop-Tart. Everybody see that? And just started chewing on it, and he looked at it, and it looked like it was the form of a gun. It's the Pop-Tart! And he goes, bang, bang, and they expelled him from school... They've got him in counseling, and they're treating him as a terrorist, a third grader with a Pop-Tart. There are people out there with Pop-Tarts for brains. That's vanity. And these are people with college degrees, doctorates. But the human mind, trying to deal with moral issues apart from God, is capable of any kind of foolishness. i got to get moving here. (laughs) Then what happens is when we came to Christ, and we were born again, God took that old spirit out and put a new spirit in, which was born of him. That's how you were born again. And then just to seal the deal, he says it took his own spirit and put him inside of you also to give you the power. So now when we're born again, we're put back in the proper order where we now have a spirit that is capable of communing with God and is designed to be guiding us. That's why Romans 8, 15 says, all who are sons of God are led by the spirit of God. The problem is God didn't change this thing. And this thing, until it's reprogrammed to think like God, still operates the way the old man operates. And this mind has an incredible effect on your heart and on your spirit. In fact, we've learned it literally controls what gets into your spirit And it also controls what's in your spirit that comes out. I've sat years ago in in services where the pastor was teaching upon the love of God. And I mean, people were weeping with the love of God. The presence of God was in there. I didn't feel it. I'm sitting there and walked out feeling more unloved than when I walked in. And yet it was the Word of God. It was anointed of God. What happened? My mind couldn't accept that applied to me at that time. 
Because I'd say, yeah, it's all true for all the rest of them, but boy, I don't qualify for that. And when I thought that way, it could not get deposited down in my spirit. What I had to do was to take this word and begin to change the way I think so that I can open that gate so that that truth could begin to drop down inside of me. So that's, that's when we're born again. We're changed. We have the capacity now to walk back the way that first man did. All those things that we saw in the beginning on that chart, on the left-hand side, the legal side, are all in us. And we're talking about how to get them to the outside, to the right-hand column, where we're experiencing them in our lives. And they're locked up inside of you and can't come out because your mind doesn't agree with what's in your spirit. Because you say, well, that's not me. I can't, I can't be like that. Why would God ever listen to me? Why would God receive my prayers? Why would God do what I ask Him to do? Because I know myself. But you're thinking of the old man. You're not thinking of what God's done inside of you and who He's made you to be. So it controls what goes into you and it controls what comes out of you. And so uh, I'll give you a couple of scriptures that, that reinforce that. Ephesians 1.18, Paul's praying for them that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. Not the physical eyes, the ones located on the east side of their nose, but what they can see on the inside. The understanding of their mind be enlightened so they can see what is the hope of their calling to sing Christ Jesus. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, Satan's the one that blinds the eyes of the unbeliever. Not these eyes, the eyes of your understanding so that they cannot see the, hope, the glory of the hope that's in Christ Jesus. They can't see the salvation that's been given to them. Matthew 15, 6, Jesus said, You even have invalidated or made futile or worthless the power of the Word of God because of your traditions, your ways of thinking about things, have made the Word of God of no power effect in your life. So our mind has the ability to either make this Word effective in our lives or ineffective in our lives. The Word's effective, but the mind controls how much of it gets inside of us, deposited down inside of us. Matthew 13, 19, the parable of the sower, Jesus uses as an example the seed that's sown on the, on the, on the, um, on the, on the road, on a paved road. He says it never even takes root. Then there's some seed that's sown on soil that's very thin. It, ta- it, it grows, but it doesn't take any root. So it, it, when the sun comes up, it burns out. And then soil that, was, that had rocks and soil that had thistles in it and, and then good soil. The condition of the soil determined what the word, the seed of the word could do. Okay, let's go on now. Let's begin to talk now about how the mind works. Your mind does work. <laughs> it may not work efficiently. It may not work in the best possible manner, but it does work. Now, what we're going to look at is very practical. It's down where you live. In fact, we're going to take you down to places where you live you don't even know you live. It's not scientific. It's not an you know, I've got books that people have given me about, you know, physiologically how the brain works, and I may be able to understand about every sixth word in there uh, and, you know, kind of get some basic idea of it, but it never helped me. But this is where I got some understanding, and what I, where I learned this from is the process of learning how to renew my own mind because I was very messed up. And my wife said, Amen. <laughs> I was, I'll tell you that. And I'm still working on some things. All right. First thing is I want you to understand is your mind works in patterns of thoughts. Patterns of thoughts. For some of you, you're going to say, oh yeah, I know that. For some of you say, my mind works in patterns of thoughts. There's an old example that's used and it doesn't apply to every male and every female, but it... it, it pretty much conveys the primary difference between male thinking and female thinking, the left side of your brain and the right side of your brain. And one of the ways is that men's minds are like waffles, you know, with the little holes in them, and you can put syrup in some holes and it doesn't get into other holes. And women's mind are like spaghetti. It's all there, but it's all over the place. It's not that one's better than the other, they're different. And when you take a man with a waffle mind, I don't mean he waffles back and forth, with a compartmentalized mind, the ability to compartmentalize. See, that's why men can deal with one issue at a time 
Now, I know some women are like that, and some men have spaghetti minds. But, but by and large, most men, you know, the wife's trying to talk to them, says, look, we, we'll talk about that later, because I don't need to deal with that right now. I need to deal with this, because I can deal with... Men can deal with one thing at a time. Women, by and large, have trouble doing that, because they see everything all at once. So if one thing's not settled, they're not settled. A man can leave every other, every other square in the waffle filled up with syrup and have one in the middle and be looking at that one. We can concentrate on one thing at a time and women look at everything all at once. Well, we need both of those. Because men can concentrate on one thing to the exclusion of all kinds of disasters around them that need to be taken care of right now and I'm reading the paper. On the other hand, in an emergency, you need somebody who can focus on where the exit is and not pay attention to all the chaos that's around them. So we need both of them blended together. Oh, how did I get off on that? Okay. The point is this. All you need to understand at this point is whether your mind... Your mind works in patterns of thought. Some of them are very rational patterns. Some of them are very... This is going to sound like it not a gr- unrational, not irrational. They're just not rational. They have patterns to them. They just don't rationally fit together, logically fit together. But there's patterns to things. And it's important for understand that there's patterns to your thoughts because we're going to see how that impacts how you see yourself and how you see God and how you see the, each other. Some of these patterns are logical, some of them are more emotional. All of these patterns that we have in our mind have been developed. You weren't born with patterns of thinking. You were born with a capacity to think in patterns of thoughts, but somebody programmed your computer. And most likely, nobody did it intentionally. It was programmed by things your way your parents conducted themselves. It was programmed by the way teachers conducted themselves. It was programmed just by the circumstances in your life and how you, what you decided they meant about certain things. And so, so, but you patterns had been formed in your life from the time that you first became aware of anything going on around you. Even if the most basic patterns was how to get my stomach filled up. <laughs> Okay, now turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, because here's a scripture that describes the process. And we're going to go down verse 3, I want to get through. Paul's talking here about a form of spiritual warfare. And the context here really is dealing with, 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 with religious traditions and philosophical ways of thinking that were being presented against what the scriptures said God was like. And we're dealing with that today. There's tremendous forces out there that are trying to tell us that there is either no God or that God is irrelevant or he's just, you know, your religious experience that you have in church and that's nice for you, but he has no meaning in my life. And now most of our society supports that, and it's now snowballing. And I don't want to get off into that tonight. But we're living in a, in a, in a country that's so different than the country of just 10 years ago, let alone the country that I was raised in. Because the body of accepted thought about things has changed so dramatically, and it's all changed in a way to either make God irrelevant or to, or to just dismiss God altogether and f- forget talking about Jesus. They're not just after Jesus now, it's God Himself. And you'll see that in these scriptures. But there's a specific application here. And Paul's talking about um, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, means we live in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. That's good advice, by the way. In, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, Paul says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Your enemy's not the politicians. It's not your neighbor, it's not your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, it's not your, it's not your spouse, it's not your kids. We don't wrestle against them. We don't war with the flesh against them. It's a spiritual warfare. 
Verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal of the flesh, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Now the context here, he's talking about our, our, our ideas and principles that we're going to see in a few minutes exalt themselves against knowing God. The word stronghold here, we're going to look at in a minute, is a Greek word that means castle or fort. And we'll get into that in a few minutes. Okay. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. That's going to become important to us. And casting down, the New King James says arguments, but the King James says imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself, look at this, against the knowledge of God, against knowing God, knowing what God's like, knowing what God's done for us. When we had that chart a few weeks ago on the, on the board, we had a left-hand side. We went through Ephesians chapter 1. We talked about some scriptures in, in, in Colossians. And we talked about some uh, scriptures in Ephesians chapter 4. All these were things that God has done, has done. They were all past tense. God has done them for us. And we discovered that very few of those things were really being experienced as a reality in our life. Why? Because the way our, the strongholds in our mind are exalting themselves against knowing what God's done in us. Against knowing who God is. If you ever had a revelation of how good God is and how much God loves you, you never fear again. That's why John says in his first epistle, perfected, matured love casts out fear. It's not knowing here that God loves you. It's knowing in here that God loves you. But you can't know in here that God loves you until it can get past here. So if your mind already has an image of what God's like and the Word of God tells you something that doesn't line up with your image, it won't get accepted down in here because it won't get past this gate. Casting down arguments or imaginations in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, what we're going to learn here is that there's three basic elements that operate in your mind. There's thoughts, imaginations, and strongholds. And I'm going to tell you quickly what each one of those is, and then we're going to go through them. Because this is where the process of renewing your mind begins. It's with an understanding of these three elements. Because they're not, they're, they're not, they're not the same. They build on each other. And so many people that teach about renewing the mind start at the wrong one. And we're going to learn to start at the right one. All right. So the first element here, which is the last one he talks about, which is in verse 5, which is bringing every thought into captivity. Thoughts are the basic piece of information that your mind receives. I remember when I first started learning about computers, and I still don't know a whole lot about them, but I, they, they were teaching me that computers don't work, and they have a language which is basically a, a binary code which is zeros and ones. That's it. And I could, if I could remember back to some things I learned in high school, I could probably try to explain it to you, but I'm not going to attempt to embarrass myself with that. Understand this, that you're, they're called bits. The computer works with little bits of information. And, and that, but it's, it's the combination of those together that c- comprise all the massive gigging, triggering, whatever the bite says that, you know, of information that now these things can hold. It's amazing. But your mind, the basic element that your mind works with is a thought. And this is where so many teachers miss it because they start dealing with imaginations and they don't teach you to go back and identify 
thoughts. This is what Satan uses. He uses thoughts against you. This is, uh, some of our thoughts are very clear, and some of them are very subtle. You are having thoughts all the time. Even when you think your mind's turned off, you are having some kind of thoughts. You just are not always aware of the thoughts that you're having, but you're always having some kind of thoughts. This thing's always running, even when you're sleeping. So you're receiving thoughts at all times. The second thing we're going to talk about are imaginations. Now, in the New King James and in other translations, it says arguments. And what that word literally means is just exactly that. An argument is a series of statements that are put together to prove something. And you can memorize an argument. In fact, some of you couples that have been married long enough have got some of your arguments down so well, you're not even aware what you're arguing about. Because all she has to do is say this, you automatically say this, then she says this, and you say this, and the next thing you're at each other, and you don't know how you got there, but you've rehearsed it. It's an established pattern of thinking that you don't have to think about. You just walk it out. And so, but it's an imagination. I like that word better for what we're going to talk about. An imagination really is a picture in your mind. And your mind works in pictures. We talked a number of months ago, we did a series on hope. And hope is based on imaginations. It's a positive, it's an, imag- it's an imagining positive good things happening. It's, it's picturing them. Our mind uses pictures. So if I say apple to you, you're not going to immediately go through a list of the, of the biological structure of a fruit that may have a red covering. You're going to picture something in your mind that may be red or yellow and have a stem on it. Whatever that means to you, you're going to form a picture in your mind. But if I mention some physics term to you that you've never heard of before, your mind can't do anything with that because you have no picture to correlate that word with. But you hear apple, and you may have several pictures in your mind that you can choose to associate with that word. Somebody, you're going to give someone directions. Well, how do I, you know, how do I get from Faith Christian Center to downtown Providence? You may tell them words, but you're going to picture Olney Street. You're going to picture Cole Street. You're going to picture the closed cinema when you tell them to turn left there. When you tell them to get on 195, you have a picture in your mind of 195. Why? Because your mind operates in pictures or images. Okay. It's a mental image. But that image is made up of thoughts. And here's where so many teachings fail. Because they'll talk about changing images but they don't tell you how. Just change the image of yourself. I wanted to change the image of myself for years. And the harder I tried to change the image of myself, the more I dug in the image that was already there. We're going to find out why later on. And I began to go to God and say, how do I do this? What do I do? And He began to give me understanding, this understanding. But an image is made up of dots. We're going to talk more about that will. And your image affects your will. Because that's what this is all about. The image that you have of yourself affects what you will do. So if you have an image of yourself as being basically, look, I'm, an, I'm never going to amount to anything. I, you know, I fail God every day. I can't amount to anything. You know, I'm never going to make it. I've been a Christian for 30 years, and I'm still struggling with this issue in my life. I'm still trying to overcome this. That's the image you have of yourself. And so when you read in the Word of God to put off the old man and put on the new, you can't do that. Even though God's Word says 
to do it. And God's not going to tell you to do something you can't do, but because your image of yourself doesn't match up what God says to do, your will will not get engaged in it. So the images that you have strongly affect your will. And remember, that's what everything's after. So some of these images, Satan has, has managed to, to paint this image in your mind so that you will not do what God wants you to do. And he's had a lot of help from people in your life when you were growing up. All right. And we were a lot of help in other people's lives when they were growing up. The third thing is a stronghold. The word is a, a kuramai, which means a castle or a fort. And if you can get this picture of, you know, some medieval castle that, you know, that, uh, that the, the, the knights are going to try to attack and there's a moat, a trench around it, and it's got these huge walls with turrets on it, you know, and, you know, the little narrow windows that they can shoot arrows out of. You know, it looks, it looks like it's, you know, an impenetrable fortress. It's something in the way. I can't get out of the way. That's what this word means. It's a fortress. It's a stronghold. But when we bring it down to how our mind works, what it is is it's when an image becomes so established that that image becomes reality to you. It's when that image in your mind becomes so established that it is now reality to you. If I say apple, you can picture an apple, but you know there's not an apple sitting in front of you. You just have a memory of an apple. So you can call that back up. But a stronghold is when that image has been there so long that that image is, a real, is reality to you, regardless of whether there really is an apple there. And we'll get into that in a minute. So it's real to us whether it's true or not. And when that's so, you know there's a stronghold because all it takes is one thought. I'll give you an example of this. When I was, we were, oh, this had to be 20 years ago. There was a situation that had happened in, in my family and, um, and, and my father, this was uh, later in his life, called me upset about something he misunderstood. And I didn't have a particularly good relationship with him growing up. He tried his best, but it just, it's a long story. Um, and so I'm on the phone with him and he's berating me, telling me, and, and I'm, I'm 45 years old. I'm a successful lawyer in a large firm downtown. He's talking to me as if I'm a child. And I just stand there. And when I got off the phone, my wife, who was obviously not raised in the same family I was raised in, said, why did you stand there and take that? I said, you don't understand. When I hear his voice, I'm 10 years old. No, I'm not 10 years old. I know I'm standing there. I know I'm a lawyer. I still have the uniform on. I still have a three-piece suit on. <laughs> I'm still dressed like I was in the office. I've just been handling multi-million dollar cases. They've entrusted clients' lives and things to me. But I got on the phone, I heard his voice upset at me, and a 10-year-old is controlling what I say and do. Why? There was a stronghold in me that all I had to hear is a tone of his voice, and that image, that image that I had of myself in his sight took over. And my mind saying, this is stupid. But my mind could, because it was not my mind controlling me at that point. It was my will that had been beaten down in that context. Now, in the office, it wasn't beaten down. But when I heard his voice criticizing me, whether it was right or wrong, that old image took over control. That's what I'm talking about. There's no rational connection. It's like a computer program. And I'm sure some of you in the room do, but most of you don't. Well, when you do, you know, type a word in and you hit enter, you understand that it's not the word enter that triggers it. There's a whole bunch of instructions that are going on, thousands of little lines of code going on to carry out that one push of a button that you did, and you don't understand any of them. All you see is the screen change from this to this. You saw it change from this stronghold to this stronghold. So a stronghold is when you don't know what will cause it to go from A to Z. You just saw A and the next thing is Z comes out. That's an indication there's a stronghold operating because you're not even conscious of the step. There's no steps anymore. It just jumps from A to, to Z. You understand what I'm saying? All right, we'll get more into that in a minute. 
And that's why sometimes or often it seems as if we have no control. And why we don't know why I reacted that way. So we'll go around, well, they pushed my button. You understand you don't have buttons. It's a nice excuse. You know, but I've, I've, you know, I don't have buttons. There's not a, you know, a fl- not, you know, knob here you can turn. There's not a, a lever here you can push. So you want, you know, she wants to get me mad. She's, oh, I know which one to put. I'm going to push this one. No, that's an excuse to blame somebody else. But what it really is, is someone has said something that's A, and it triggers a stronghold at Z. And you don't know why that triggers it, but it does. And it can even get you more frustrated because you don't know why it triggered it. That's a sign that that's a stronghold that has a hold of that area of your thinking, that area of your life, and it's exalting itself against the knowledge of how good God is, the grace of God, and the love of God, and what God has done in you. All right, now let's get into these. We may not finish these tonight, but we'll get into them and begin to break them down. Thoughts. Like, this is so important. Because again, without, without the understanding thoughts, you won't understand imaginations. Because imaginations are made up of thoughts. And most people, again, I've said this before, but I want to emphasize this. Most people try to tell you to change the strongholds by changing the image you have of yourself. But they don't deal with how you get the image. But if you don't know how you form the image, you won't know how to change the image. Okay. So thoughts are the basic unit that your mind uses. Everything in your mind, everything starts with a thought. Even your emotions. Emotions don't just come out of nowhere. I know it feels like that. But that's not how it works. And I'll prove it to you in a minute. Emotions are always triggered by a thought and usually a pattern of thoughts that tell you something and your emotional reaction is to what you think they're telling you. And the, what it's telling you is how you've tied those thoughts together and gotten meaning out of them. The human mind is designed by God to try to always find meaning in things. That's why when some tragedy happens, what do people do? They try to come up with some explanation of why it happened. Because our human mind always feels more secure if we can explain it. Because if we can explain it, we can understand it. If we can understand it, then there's some sense of we have control over it or it's not going to be just totally out of control. But when things happen and we can't understand why, that makes us feel very insecure because there's no understanding. How am I know when this might happen or when it may not happen? Now that's obviously apart from God. So our mind is constantly trying to take things and fit them together with some kind of meaning. And here goes back to what I started with. Some of us try to put them together in logical form. A plus B equals C. Some of us put B, Z, D, and F together, but to our thinking, they fit together somehow. And as long as you think it fits together, it's telling you something. Give you an example of this. Suppose, and this happened to me years ago, I had a physical on Friday. I come home from work, five o'clock, there's a message on the answering machine from my doctor's secretary, nurse, saying, um, Would you please call the office on Monday morning? I got two days to live with my mind. All I know. The only information I have is the doctor's nurse wants me to call her Monday morning. I don't know anything else. But my mind has all kinds of other thoughts already in there from other things I've heard, stories I've heard from other people, movies I may have seen, Dr. Kierdale shows I saw from years ago, you know, whatever it is. But that's all in there. It never goes away. This is why it's so important to stay away from pornographic stuff. Those are thoughts that never go away. They may settle down, but they're always in there. Thoughts. So my, I, all, the only thing I know 
is the doctor's nurse, not the doctor, wants me to call Monday morning, but there are other thoughts floating around in there, and my mind's trying to go and put some meaning because I can't stand all weekend with just one thought. (laughs) So it begins to pick things out and connect them together to form meaning. And it could be, I wonder what this could mean. What tests did they run? Ah, another information. What were those tests looking for? Oh, another bit of information. How have I been feeling lately? Oh, you know, I've been kind of thirsty lately. Another bit of it. Oh, I've heard that one of the signs of diabetes is people get really thirsty. There's another bit of information. Then I've heard that diabetes can be a symptom of this. And before I know it, Sunday night, I've got myself, I've got an image of myself by Tuesday in a hospital with tubes hanging out of me. Now that's kind of extreme, but that's what we do. Our mind's trying to take information, thoughts, and pull them together to form images. You remember those children's books called Dot to Dot? Anybody remember those? Where, where you'll have a picture, it's, but you don't have the picture. What you've got is a series of numbered dots. And, there, and there's a little help there because there may be a line that shows you part of what this is. And then there's usually some word clue. And as long as you go from one to two, to three, to four, to five, to six, to seven, to eight, to nine, to ten, to eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, you'll draw the bunny rabbit. But the problem is when we go to one, to eight, to six, to three, back to four, we can form any kind of picture you want if you connect the dots out of order. And the Word of God has an order because it has a picture, an image of God and an image of you. If you'll follow the dots to dots in the right order. But if you don't have an order to the dots according to the artist that created it, you can form any kind of picture and in fact there may be somebody helping you form pictures. Okay. Now, our emotions don't come out of anywhere, of just nowhere. They are the result of thoughts. Let me prove it to you. Suppose you and your spouse are in the middle of, let's call it an intense lively moment of fellowship about an issue that you just don't seem to quite agree on. And you're fuming. I mean, the emotion is flowing and you're out of control and the phone rings and you pick up the phone and you hear, Hi, this is Pastor John. How are you? How quickly do you think those emotions get under control? So I guess they weren't out of control. It's a result of the things you were thinking about. And I've learned to go back when I find myself anxious about something. I've learned to go back and trace my thoughts. Years ago, I'm going to use an example because I've used it before and I remember the details of it. Uh, when I was not on staff here and I was still practicing law, I was working in Worcester and I was leaving down here. So I had an hour's drive each way. And I remember there was a period of time when I just noticed that I was feeling anxious. And I couldn't tell why. I look at my life, I mean, things were right, things were not wrong. We weren't, you know, we weren't, you know, having any serious bills. We weren't, you know, there was nothing particularly wrong. We we were doing well. The kids were doing well. The job was going. I couldn't consciously think of some reason for me to be anxious. So I began to retrace my thoughts. What have I been thinking about lately? What have I let my mind dwell on lately? And I was doing this while I was driving to work one day. And then I realized a pattern that had developed in my thinking. Not every day, but many days. I would notice that the car I was driving had gotten old. I mean, you got driving 60 miles each way every day. 
you know, it's going to, it was a used, I bought a, a small used car because I knew I was just going to run it, you know, just use it up. But it's been about four years now and I was used up a lot of it. And I'm noticing new cars go by. Driving along, that's a nice car. And this shows you how subtle these thoughts can be. And I began to realize, you know what? This isn't going to last a lot longer. I'm going to need to get a new car. Now, the other ingredient here is I don't like buying cars. I don't like the process. I don't like haggling. I don't like... I just don't... It's not one of my... It's, it's, I like going to the dentist more than I like buying cars. <laughs> so, so for some of you, that might be an exciting thought. For me now, it's tied with all kinds of other things. I don't know what I'm looking for. I don't know whether they're taking advantage of me. I don't know how much I'm going to have to pay. Am I going to have to borrow money? What's the cost? All these thoughts are now getting tied together, creating a very subtle image that's now creating anxiety in me. Low-riding anxiety, but I notice signs of it beginning to come out in me. The point is, though that anxiety didn't just float in the open window of my car. Fear doesn't just float around in the atmosphere. You just happen to stand up and it hits you. You can trace thoughts back and find out what those thoughts were that's the basis of that fear. Otherwise, God would not be fair to command us to fear not, because He does. The Bible says it 360 sometimes, fear not. So God wouldn't be fair to tell us to fear not if it were, we were just subject to the whims of the barometric pressure of the day, or the whichever direction the wind happened to be coming from. But that's how we've seen it. Or, oh, it's just my heritage. You know, I'm Italian or I'm Portuguese or I'm this. We're just like that. Well, that's learned patterns. Because I guarantee you not every Italian and not every Portuguese is like that. You've learned patterns of thinking and that certain things are part of what's expected and normal and therefore it's just okay to let it loose. And it's not just anger emotions. It can be other things. Okay. So I want to show you that those, your emotions come from your thoughts. Okay. But the good news is you can change your thoughts. So if you can change your thoughts, you can change your emotions. If you can change your thoughts, you can change the images that your thoughts make up. And what you believe also starts with thoughts. Now, it's important to understand this because in order to renew your mind, this is the part of you we're going to work with. This is the unit. This is the device we're going to work with. We're going to work with your thoughts and learn how to change your thoughts because if we can change your thoughts they'll change your imaginations, your images. And if your images begin to change, the strongholds will begin to change. So don't try to deal with the strongholds. You can't. They're strongholds. Don't even try to deal with the images yet. We've got to start by identifying the thoughts and then begin to change the thoughts. Okay. So in order to renew our mind, all we simply are going to do is to learn how to change what we think about. Right now, most of the time, most of you are not conscious of where your th- what the source of your thoughts are. So we're going to learn how to become conscious of our thoughts. Now, some of us are too conscious of our thoughts, but most people just have thoughts and they're not aware of where they came from. They can basically come from several places. They can come from Satan. These demons can speak things to you. Not often, but they can. They can come from you. You can just choose your own thoughts. In many cases, that's where they come from. Or they can come from other people. People say things to you that plants a thought in your mind. Okay. So in order to renew your mind, you simply have to change your thoughts. Now, this is a very important principle. And then we won't, we'll probably finish this thoughts next week. 
Very important principle. It's not what you see or what you hear that affects you. It's the thought that you have about what you see or what you hear. It's not the thought, it's not, the, it's not that what you see. See, we see something and there's an emotion and we assume that the emotion is a direct reaction to what we saw. But what I want to teach you is there's a step in between. You saw something, your mind had a series of thoughts about what you saw and it happened so fast, the emotional response, you didn't realize there was a thought pattern that took place in between. It's not what... Because if you... Otherwise, you're, you're dealing with the wrong element. We're trying to change the circumstances around us, and the circumstances around you are not what's governing how you're reacting. Your thoughts about it are. I began to realize that because I saw people... There was a woman I knew of, and I never knew her personally, but I knew... We knew somebody years ago in ministry that knew this girl... I mean, you know, there's some people that, you know, I, I was looking at my life, and yeah, my, I wasn't that a bad childhood, just there were issues that, that I've had to learn to overcome and still am to some degree. And some of you have had other things too that you've had to deal with. And I used to use that as an excuse. Well, I had a rough childhood, you know, you, this is why I'm the way I am. Until I, from friends of ours, heard this story about a little girl, I think she was like 10 years old. This was during the Vietnam War. She lived in a village. The enemy came in one day, lined the entire village up, including her family. She sat on the outside and she watched her family shot down in front of her eyes. And then they left her alone. In one moment's time, her entire village is wiped out. and She's an orphan all by herself. Aside from the fact of being left alone, just the trauma of what she saw. She was eventually picked up by some GIs. They, they kind of you know, took her under their wing, and eventually she came back to this country. And I don't want to go through the whole story, but she ended up becoming a medical doctor. She ended up with all kinds of degrees. She ended up getting saved. She ended up getting married and having a successful life. Now, obviously, she had things to overcome, but she was able to do it. And the problem is if we think what happens to us determines what's going on with us, then we're, de- we're controlled by the circumstances around us. And guess who's the God of those circumstances? It's what you think about what happens to you. And I'll close with this example. And this is how God drove this home to me. The youngest children we have are twins, and they were, I think, eight or nine months at the time this happened. And uh, one of them, was they were just learning to walk. And they were going along like this and turned to say something like this and tripped over and fell down and hit their head on the, on the carpet, soft carpet. Looked up at me and didn't do anything until he looked at me to see how I interpreted what had happened. Now, what he knew was he had fallen... He knew he'd bumped his head, so obviously there was some pain, but he didn't know what that meant because he hadn't been around long enough for somebody to teach him. And he looked to me for me to help him understand what that experience meant. So I decided in that instant to try something. So instead of going, oh my goodness, my baby hit his head, that interprets it for him, doesn't it? to just come and say, wow, let's get up and go it again. He never cried. Rubbed his head and went on. You understand that's why God doesn't cry over some of the times you knock your knees and hit your head? Because he looks at it and realizes it really wasn't that big a deal in the perspective of things and you can handle it and, you know, he'll swoop you up and you're okay. But it's important to understand this, very important, that what you experience is simply a result of your thought patterns, 
about what you see and experience happening around you. So you're the one in control of what it does to you. Satan's not in control of what things do to you. God gave you a will to decide how you're going to react to a situation. There were people that went through the terrible experiences of the concentration camps of World War II. Some people fell apart and some people chose to not let it get to them. There were some that even chose to walk in love with their guards and to bless the people that were around them. Imagine that. Oh, yes, they were controlled. They couldn't go do what they wanted to do, but nobody could take away from them how they chose to respond. Nobody. If God can't control it, nobody else can control how you respond to whatever happens to you. But it's determined by the thoughts you choose to have about it. And we'll pick up with this next week. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus and thank you tonight that you give us understanding. You're not just in heaven saying, renew your mind, get things right, but you give us understanding so that we can apply your word in our life and have your word change us. Father, I pray tonight that the things that we've heard, your spirit will begin to take and begin to open the eyes of our understanding and help us to grasp this and apply these things in our everyday thought life. This week, open our eyes to see situations where we react and remind us to go back and understand the thoughts we've had about that and show us why we've reacted the way we've reacted. Thank you, Father, for the hope that this gives us, that we indeed can change because you do give us the ability to do that. And for that grace, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.